Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. The Wall Street Journal, uh, Paul released just this past Monday, mentioned a number of findings related to percentages of those who regarded various values um, were most important to them. Uh, They polled things like hard work, community involvement, patriotism, having children, and tolerance for others. What they found in all those areas that I mentioned, uh, data actually dropped in terms of the number of those who classified those things as most important in 1998 to how they classified them in our present day. Uh, One of the things that the poll measured was religious faith. The poll found that just 39% of Americans in present day say that their religious faith is very important to them. In 1998, that number was 62% of the people who responded, said their faith was very important to them. Pretty significant drop. Additionally, the poll found that 30% of Americans say having children is very important to them. In 1998, that number was 60%. Just have to say that I love the thriving of young life here at Southridge. We had lots of babies in a nursery last Sunday, and there's lots of babies and young families around here just thrilled with and celebrate that. The only tested priority that had grown in importance between 1998 and the present day was the idea of money. 43% in the present day regarded money to be very important to them. That was up from just 31% in 1998. So 39% of the respondents said religion was very important to them. 43% said that money is very important to them. As we're going into Revelation, John is reminding the original listeners to Revelation of what's most important, what they can attach their lives to. Their world was going crazy in a certain way. The Roman government was challenging followers of Jesus, putting some to death. People were losing jobs. So John wrote Revelation to root and ground people, followers of Jesus, in the truth that God is faithful, that he is true. This morning, we're going to come to Revelation chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 6 through 21. And we're going to be reminded of three things that we as followers of Jesus can do when things seem crazy, when poll numbers fluctuate, when values change, we're going to remind ourselves of three things that we can do. Uh, Fajera is going to come up and read Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. And at the very beginning of the series, we all stood when Revelation was read uh, because we were reading sometimes one and two chapters at a time in different sections. We kind of put a halt to that. But I thought it'd be cool if we actually all stood this morning and stood as we began the series reading Revelation 1 
Now we're going to conclude reading the final verses of Revelation 22, and we're going to stand as these verses are read. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servant the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the word of this book, worshiping God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic art and sexual immoral, the murderers, the adultery, and everyone who loves and practice falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the pledges described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the book. He who have testified to these things say, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with the God's people. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you for sharing. Again, three things that we can do uh, when everything else seems to be changing. Number one, we live in worship of God. We live in worship of God. Verse 6 of Revelation 22, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Thus the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Listen, friends, there is something that each one of us regard to be trustworthy and true. There's something that you orient your life toward. You, there's something that you believe to find trustworthy and true. And John is reminding his leaders 
These are the words of God. They are words that are trustworthy and true. This first mirror is actually Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I remember diving into this all the way back in September. Here's what it says. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. We said at that point, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later on, there is something that you worship. The question is not what do you worship, or the question is not whether or not you worship. The question is who or what do you worship? You are a worshiper. The question is not whether or not you worship. The question is who or what do you worship? Who or what do you find to be faithful and true? What do you regard to deliver life to you? What do you trust in? What do you worship? What do you find give ultimate worth to? What do you regard to be true? What do you stake your life on? When things get tough, how do you make your decisions? Do you rely on your intuition or do you rely on God's revelation? Do you rely on your intuition in the moment as to what you regard to be true? Or do you rely on God's revelation of what he says is true? What do you regard to be faithful and true? Verse 7, he says, look, I am coming soon. A number of times in this very chapter, he talks about the fact that he's going to come soon. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week when we do wrap up. Uh, He mentions it a number of times. We're not going to dive into that this week, but we'll dive into that next week. And then he says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy written in the scroll. He says, blessed are you. Not just if you hear, but if you keep the words, if you regard them to be faithful and true. The idea of blessing is being favored, flourishing, being rewarded, having delight, having well-being, having joy, having pleasure. When Liv gave the opportunity for the women's gathering next Saturday, she mentioned it was focused on the fact that there's going to be joy. That's going to be the context of the discussion. That's the idea of blessed. What do you find? What do you pursue in order for your life to be blessed? What do you find trustworthy and true to deliver life to you? What do you look to to deliver joy? How do you search out blessing in your life? What I love about the Bible, what I love about Scripture, is it says that, following after God, regarding his words to be trustworthy and true, or how ultimately we become blessed people. Now, in our cultural moment, we kind of define it differently. We say, blessed are you if you follow your momentary urge. Blessed are you if you follow your momentary passion. Blessed are you if you follow your momentary appetite. Jesus says, blessed are you if you regard God's truth to be faithful and true. 
In other words, blessed are you if you take the whole picture of life into account. That God is your creator. That you'll spend forever and eternity either with him or without him. He takes the macro perspective and says, blessed are you if you live in light of the big picture of who you are created in God's image, loved by God, designed for him, intended to spend all of eternity. Blessed are you if you live with that big picture in mind. Listen, friends, one of the biggest challenges of our modern day is that we define blessedness in very small terms, in very small moments, in very small sectors of our lives. And so our culture sends the message, blessed are you if your political perspectives win the day. Listen, friends, your political perspectives are not your whole being. They're just a small part, small window of time. Our sexual identities are not our whole being. Our financial resources are not our whole beings. Our productivity is not our whole beings. They're incapable of blessing us. Our pleasure and comfort is not our whole being. Our family history is not your whole being. Your control over things and how things work out is not your whole being. Your marriage and family dreams are not your whole being. Your professional success is not your whole being. They're small slices of who you are. Jesus says, blessed is your whole being if you find his words to be faithful and true. Don't define blessing in your life by just one small segment of who you are in this moment of time. Instead, define blessing by your whole being as being created by God and being designed for him to live for all of eternity in his presence. That's blessing. Blessing is not a single moment in time in a single area of life. Blessing, living in God's fullness, is for your whole being, for all of your existence from creation to eternity. George MacDonald said this. He was a 19th century speaker, pastor, Scottish minister. He said this. To be right with God is to be right with the universe. One with the power, the love, the will of the mighty Father, the cherisher of joy, the Lord of laughter, whose, whose are all glories and all hopes. Listen, friends. Where are you looking to for blessedness? Are you looking for just one little smidgen of your life and one little moment of your life? Or are you actually looking to your creator, the God who gave you your being and says, hear how all of your life can be lived in a state of blessedness? Because you know him. You belong to him. We might say, blessed are those who see God's hand in everything. Blessed are those who worship God, not just on Sunday, but in all of their lives. Blessed are those who resist temptation and walk in obedience. Blessed are those who are in Christ rather than being in themselves. Blessed are those 
who see all things as flowing from Christ. You know, probably a couple years ago, I forget exactly when it was, we had a guest speaker here for Accelerate. And uh, he led us through a just powerful weekend and helping us develop and strengthen our prayer lives. And actually downloaded the app that he recommended. And uh, it's not necessarily the most technically glamorous app, uh, but it is a place where I often just tap out prayers uh, once things solidify in my mind, kind of what I'm praying for myself about. And uh, these are two prayers that over the last probably number of months, I forget exactly when it was, but these are two prayers that I kind of typed out for myself in this app. And I pray these prayers, and I probably have a list of, I don't know, maybe it's 20 or 25 there at this point. I don't pray them all every day, but periodically, you know, scroll through them and pray for one here and there. And here were two of the prayers that I wrote down maybe, I don't know, several months ago. It said, Lord, I choose to place my faith and trust in you. My impulses are not inspired. My desire is not my dictator. My passions are not my pathway, and my longings are not my Lord. In other words, I'm not going to get blessing from following my own deal. Here's another one. Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. My thirst, moods, desires, longings are not my shepherd. You are my shepherd, my provider, my bread, my living water. Friends, I've got to pray those kinds of prayers just to remind myself that my blessings are not simply one small segment of my life, but my blessing comes from my shepherd. My blessing comes from the creator. My blessing comes from the redeemer. My blessing is for all of my life, not just one small snapshot, one small area, and one small moment of time. Where are you looking to for your blessing? Are you living in worship of God? Verse 8 of Revelation 22 says this, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and seen them, I fell down, there it is, to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. Verse 9, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Next two words, worship God. You know what scares me here, friends? It's actually twice in the book of Revelation that John falls down to worship something other than God. Now, John's kind of a big deal and pretty significant heavyweight. After all, he wrote the book of Revelation. Here's what kind of freaks me out. If John is tempted to worship something other than God, don't fool yourself into thinking that's not your temptation to. If John was tempted to worship something other than God, my guess is my heart is tempted in that same direction as well. So every day, multiple times a day, I've got to say, who am I worshiping? What am I looking to for blessing? What am I finding to be true and trustworthy? What am I finding to be faithful and true? Am I living in worship of God 
Or am I trying to derive blessing, well-being, joy, delight, a sense of God's favor? Am I trying to find that somewhere else? We live in worship of God. Secondly, we live in service to God. We live in service to God. Revelation chapter 22, verse 10. Then he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy, of this scroll, because the time is near. What seems to be happening here is this. It's a contrast to what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Now, listen to these words in Daniel 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Notice verse 10. Do not seal it up. Daniel chapter 12, do seal it up. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about some of these things next week. But here's what seems to be happening. God told Daniel, sealed up, because the fulfillment of what God was telling Daniel was far off. In the book of Revelation, John is told, don't seal it up. Because what I'm telling you is not far off. Jesus coming back is not far off. God's plan of redemption is unfolding. Don't seal it up because this requires action. It requires service to God. It requires taking steps. Don't seal it up because this isn't somewhere down the road. This is now. This is presently that God is at work, that he's sovereign, that he's in control. Worship him now. Serve him now. Verse 11 is a little bit strange, a little challenging. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. What do, you make, what do we make of that verse? Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to to do right. Let the holy person continue to be holy. What John seems to be saying is this. Your heart is not as soft and steerable as you think that it might be. What he seems to be saying is this. What you choose now, this moment, your responsiveness to the work of God's spirit, your softness of heart to his conviction of sin, the level to which you're soft and responsive to God in this very moment It's a very good indicator of how your heart will be tomorrow. See, what's easy to do is say this. Eh, like, yeah, God says his stuff, whatever. Like, I'll get to that tomorrow. Yes, I know that this particular thing doesn't really honor and glorify God, but it gives me pleasure. It blesses me for now. And so let tomorrow be tomorrow. What this verse seems to be saying is this. Don't think you're in control of your heart quite as much as you think that you are. Your heart is on a trajectory. Your life is on a trajectory. 
And if you have hardness of heart today, chances are you'll have hardness of heart tomorrow unless you're responsive to God's spirit today. Don't simply kind of cross your arms and say like, yeah, like I know I should do X, Y, and Z, and I know my, I should be uh, repentant of the sin and confess the sin, but I'll do that tomorrow. This verse is basically saying like, eh, like don't bank on that. Your heart's responsiveness to God today is probably an indicator of your heart's responsiveness to him tomorrow. Your heart's disposition to obey and be soft toward God today is an indication of your heart's responsiveness to obedience to God tomorrow. Kind of goes back maybe to King Pharaoh in Egypt. Remember, a lot of the plagues were kind of mirroring the plagues in Egypt. The judgments in Revelation would mirror the plagues in Egypt. And Pharaoh was a guy who thought he had some control of his heart, but his heart just increasingly went toward hardness. Friends, listen. Your heart is not as self-steerable as you think that it is. If you have a moment of thankfulness, express that thankfulness to God because it's a moment of softness of your heart and actions in regard to the softness of your heart will only make your heart more soft. Confession of sin will enable and perpetuate your heart to confess sin even more. Giving thanks to God, giving him praise and glory will set a pattern in your life to enable you to have a sense of increasing praise and thankfulness to God. Be a steward of your heart. Be a steward of making of you the softness of your heart. Be a steward in taking action when you sense the prompting of God's spirit because there's no guarantee you can somehow choose differently tomorrow. What trajectory is your heart on? Are you responsive in the moment to the prompting of God's spirit? Is your heart become increasingly softened because you respond to God in moments of softness? Is your heart become increasingly hardened because you increasingly reject moments of God's convicting spirit in your life? Verse 12, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Verse 15. Outside are the dogs, those who, are, those who practice magic, arts, the sexually immoral, the murders, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Listen, friends, what this is not saying, it's not saying that we somehow earn our standing before God. But what it is saying is that good works are a natural outflow of our lives. Yes, God's grace The blood of Jesus alone 
is what enables us to have entrance into the eternal presence of God. Yes, that's exactly the way that works. It's completely of Christ and nothing of ourselves. And yet at the same time, what we do here, our acts of service to God, the way that we obey him actually matters. It matters to him. So that one day when he comes back, there will actually be some sort of evaluation, some kind of weighing. Not weighing in terms of have we done enough to earn eternal life, but since we have eternal life through Jesus, have we used our lives, have we stewarded our lives in a way that represent him well? Have we done the good works that he created us to do? Have we represented him well? Have we lived for his honor and for his glory? Vern Poitras says this, good works are not the basis for eternal life. As if we earned life through our own efforts, but they are are demonstrations of the genuineness of our faith and of the justice of God's judgment. Says good works don't earn us eternal life, but they're a reflection of Christ's life being lived through us. They're the outflow of the eternal life that he's given to us. So again, when everything's crazy, we worship, we become worshipers of God. We give our service to God. Then lastly, we live in readiness for God. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. When it says bright and morning star, it sort of has the idea that the, the morning star is the last star to be seen in the darkness of the dawn. It's the promise of a new day. Jesus says he is the morning star. He's the promise of a new creation. He's the promise of a full redemption. He's the promise of a new kind of day. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, a word of invitation. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the tree, take the free gift of the water of life. Von Poitras says this, the door is open for repentance. The invitation extends both to those who already trust in Christ and to those who are still in rebellion. Come while there is still time before the Lord comes himself. The first two comes seem to be requests from both the Holy Spirit and the people of God, the bride of Christ, his church, saying, come, Lord Jesus. We long for the new dawn to come. We long for the new day of your your creation to come. Come, Lord Jesus. But then it also is this open invitation. Come to those who are thirsty. Come to those who need the freshness of God's love. Come to those who need to experience redemption from his hand. Come to experience forgiveness that flows from the cross. Come to those who are thirsty for life and looking to other sources for blessedness, but those sources have dried up. Come to receive fresh and living water. Come to the one who is the author 
of all blessing. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Again, we'll cover that coming soon a little bit next week when we wrap up. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The very, very last verse in Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The word amen means so be it. May it be. The last word of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. You know what it is? It's the word destruction. Last word of the whole Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, is the word destruction. The last word of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 21 is amen. So be it. Jesus has come. He's interrupted the onslaught of destruction. He's interrupted the penalty of death. He's interrupted to bring us blessing. Come, Lord Jesus. And Revelation 22 ends with, amen. So be it. May it be. May he come. I'm going to ask our team to come out. And we're going to close this service in Revelation 22 with the song, The Blessing. You can sing along if you'd like. You can simply let it wash over you if you'd like. But the blessing, the song, is based on a prayer of blessing that the priest Aaron was to give over the nation of Israel every morning. It has three primary parts. I'll read them then go through them briefly. The Lord bless you and keep you. That's the first part. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. That's the second part. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's the third part. What's interesting is in Hebrew, those three parts, those three parts of the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace, each one of those parts is increased in length in Hebrew. First part is just three words. Second part is five words in Hebrew. Third blessing is seven words in Hebrew. So it goes three, five, seven. In other words, may God's blessing flow in increasing measures. May God's blessing flow in extensiveness. May God's blessing flow in its comprehensiveness. May it increase. May his blessing be toward you. Let's stand. And you can sing along. You can let this wash over you. But listen, friends. The desire of God's heart is for his blessing to be toward us in increasing measure. His desire is for it to to be so. For it to be amen, so be it. May his blessing be toward you as you regard his word to be faithful and true and trustworthy. Let's sing the song.
generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may a favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children Revelation 22, 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. 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 God's blessings be with you. Have a great day.